the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. Merciful God, send your spirit to us. Wearied by the changes and chances of life, speak your eternal word of grace and summon us to faithfulness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Listen for God's word to you. As all the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and Torah experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer deserving to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against you. I am no longer deserving to be called your son. But the father said to him, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatty calf and slaughter it. We will celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and was come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. 
The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fetid calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you for all these years, and I have never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me so much as a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and was found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes to us from the prophet Jeremiah. O land, O land, O land, hear the word of the Holy One. Jeremiah received the Holy One's word. The Holy One, the God of Israel, proclaims, write down in a scroll all the words I have spoken to you. The time is coming, declares the Holy One, when I will bring back my people, Israel and Judah, from captivity, says the Holy One. I will bring them home to the land that I gave to their ancestors, and they will possess it. Here are the words that the Holy One spoke concerning Israel and Judah. At that time, declares the Holy One, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. The Holy One proclaims, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. As Israel searched for a place to rest, the Holy One appeared to them from a distance. I have loved you with a love that lasts forever. And so with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Again, I will build you up and you will be rebuilt, virgin Israel. Again, you will play your tambourines and dance with joy. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. Farmers will plant and then enjoy the harvests. The time will come when the watchmen shout from the highlands of Ephraim, get ready, we are going up to Zion, to the Holy One, our God. The Holy One proclaims, sing joyfully for the people of Jacob, shout for the leading nation, raise your voices with praise and call out. The Holy One has saved the chosen people, the remaining few in Israel. I am going to bring them back from the north. I will gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the disabled, expectant mothers and those in labor. A great throng will return there. With tears of joy they will come. While they pray, I will bring them back. I will lead them by quiet streams 
and on smooth paths so they do not stumble. I will be Israel's father. Ephraim will be my oldest child. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. When you're six years old and something bad happens, your parents are supposed to make it better. Children are typically learning how to add and subtract at six. They are not qualified for crisis. It makes sense to me then that when a venomous snake bit six-year-old Manyang Rafkur, the thought that sustained him through the pain was, my parents are going to come. They are going to come and get me from the hospital. But Manyang's father was killed three years ago, a casualty in South Sudan's civil war. His mother and his sister were separated from him. As a toddler, Manyang became one of the 20,000 Sudanese children orphaned or displaced by the war. Maybe you've heard of this generation called the Lost Boys. Manyang survived the snake bite. However, his parents never came to get him from the hospital. He lived for 13 years in a refugee camp in Ethiopia, where hunger, fear, and abuse were a part of everyday life. And still, his family did not come. Today, 31-year-old Manyang Rothker lives in Richmond, Virginia, where he operates 734 Coffee, a company that benefits Sudanese refugees still living in those camps. Manyang found grace in the wilderness after surviving the horrors of war, but he has not forgotten the people who are still living in it. Neither has he forgotten those who did not survive. Like the lost boys of Sudan, the generation of Judeans exiled to Babylon knew that survival was not a guarantee. Like children from Honduras, they had lost loved ones walking through long stretches of desert. Like children from Syria, they made their homes in camps where six-year-olds cried out for parents who would never come. To this generation, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah these words, which scholars call the scroll of comfort. These are words meant to sustain a people who do not know whether they would survive. The images in this portion of Jeremiah are so vivid 
You can see the tears of joy glistening in the exile's eyes. You can hear the tempo of the tambourines that the young women are playing. And when I imagine pregnant women, even mothers in labor, making the journey home beside blind and disabled folks, I get a lump in my throat. Everyone is making this journey to, together at a slow but steady pace. No one is left behind. New souls are coming into the world who will never know life in a refugee camp. These words pulse with God's heartbeat. They are the language of a future born of unfailing holy love. The promise is exciting, but the prophecy also feels precarious. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, spoke Jeremiah. I hear that and try to imagine the lives cut down by the sword. I think of exiles hearing these words, wondering for whom God would make good on this promise. Them? That tension between the promise and the present is so uncomfortable. Just ask Jesus' favorite dysfunctional family. For the younger son in this story, the idea of waiting for the promise of an inheritance was untenable. He needed half of his father's livelihood now. As for the older son, the promise of parental love rang hollow when no one bothered to invite him to the party thrown in honor of his brother's return. Luke, the gospel writer, used this parable to talk about repentance and restoration, but Jesus' own words leave us in the tension. The prodigal son never repents. The pained son doesn't celebrate. And dear old dad, is standing there, helpless in the field when the parable ends. There's a third act, a third act to this parable that only we can write. Will the family members reconcile when the older sibling inherits after dad dies? Will he kick out his good-for-nothing brother? Will the younger sibling make an effort to change. Jesus shrugs, as if to say, only you can decide what happens next. The Babylon generation read a message of grace, but they could have ignored it. Some did. The tax collectors having a meal with Jesus heard stories about loss and finding and celebration. Some of them were touched, but it's unlikely that they immediately turned from their wicked ways. 
still. The promise can provoke us. The possibility can intrigue us. That's when the passionate love of God draws us in because God is already roaming the world restless for a new creation. Here's the thing about finding grace in the wilderness. Grace goes to the wilderness to find you. The God of the universe is far better than a father who, seeing a lost boy returning, runs to embrace his child. The Holy One goes out looking for us, knowing that there are plenty of swords cutting short, precious lives each day. And when it's time to celebrate, our God doesn't leave us out to dry. Everyone is invited to the party. Everyone who survived dances on the way back to Judah. Even pregnant women swaying on swollen feet. Generations of Christians have been content with a God that is like the prodigal's father. But I believe that God is more like my grandmother, Dorothy. Dorothy and Oscar Hedlund had four children. Their only daughter, Lynn, is my mother. Their eldest son was 10 years older than his sister, a strong, sensitive man who sought out truth. In the early 70s, my uncle's seeking led him to a wandering religious community. Their leader was charismatic and accountable to no one. He taught through coercion, withholding food from members of the community and forbidding contact with their families. A decade later, psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton would define this community as a cult. For Dorothy, that fact was secondary. The most important thing for her was her son. At her funeral last year, I heard how my grandmother would follow the community's progress through the Central Valley of California. She would call and leave messages. She would drive to visit. Whenever his mother turned up, my uncle would dutifully tell her that he wasn't allowed to have contact with his family. That may be, Dorothy said, but you are my son and I love you. Nothing can change that. The cult fell apart after the charismatic leader ran off with all the cash. My uncle and his wife, my lovely aunt, had nothing except for each other and my grandmother's open arms. They had survived and found grace in the wilderness. Friends, God loves each of us with an unfailing love that draws us into God's own heart.
And what is more, that love promises a world full of joy and healing. Who wouldn't want that? If you want that, and if I want that, then we will make sure that as many people survive to experience such grace. I've described this attempt to figure out life while a pandemic grips the globe as acclimating to exile. We are, in a sense, exiled from the ordinary and the expected, dispersed and discouraged with no set timeline and no good choices. In the United States alone, 170,000 people have died from COVID-19. That's 70,000 more daughters and sons since the end of May. All of these deaths preventable. Specters of the sword that swings through our nation and in many other countries. Like the exiles in Babylon, we stand in the tension between the promise and the present. The promise to a return of seeing loved ones in nursing homes. The promise of returning to singing in church and listening to live music in a crowded bar. All of these stand in contrast to our present. Or at least they should. As it turns out, Prodigal is a fitting word for our nation. Prodigal, in the dictionary, means wasteful, squandering resources. Our elected officials have squandered away the summer when they should have been passing laws to support struggling people and to make testing widely available. We waste what limited good a face covering can do when we let our noses stick out or constantly pull our masks on and off. And we gamble with each other's well-being, including me. Clearing the first two pews in front of the pulpit so that the pastor can preach without a mask is a gamble. It is a risk I cannot possibly calculate to the degree of precision that I desire. The tension between the promise and the present is uncomfortable. I cannot change that for the family in Jesus's parable or for us today. But we can do our best to make sure that as many people survive this plague to experience grace in the wilderness. And so I will read those articles my husband forwards me about best practices. 
we together can make sure that our face coverings are secure and that we're maintaining that recommended six feet of distance. We can hound our representatives, state and national, and we can keep the promise in front of us, not insisting that we get our inheritance now, but praying for the day when a vaccine will be widely available and affordable for everyone in our community. Meanwhile, our hearts do not beat or break alone. The Holy One seeks us out, even in stretches of wilderness, especially there the God of love, the God of deliverance and healing will hold us in grace every step of the way. For such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, the fire of righteousness, the shepherd of exiles, who renews the covenant, engraving it upon our hearts. Amen.